So last week we started this series called Curator, Repairing the Damaged Frames, and last week we talked about the temptation of Jesus, and we talked a little bit about how Satan, the tempter, the devil, uh, brought these temptations against Jesus to try to get him to give up his identity as the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread, and so forth. And we said that sometimes temptations are not so much about the temptation itself, but what it does to you and your identity. And so Jesus refused to give up his identification as the Son of God, and he resisted by quoting three passages out of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, today, when we take a look at the transfiguration of Jesus, this is a passage that I never fully understood for many, many years. And I often wondered about what the purpose of it is. And I had often heard people, when they have referenced the transfiguration, and I haven't heard a lot of sermons on this particular topic because it's a little bit confusing, but when I have heard messages on it, it's all about Jesus was just displaying his glory. He's just showing everybody who's boss by showing his glory. And as I double back and as I think about this, I was thinking a little bit about how we frame that because many times we take this expectation, like the song that we just sang, that Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords is going to somehow come dominantly and eradicate all of our enemies and set up his kingdom and so forth. But Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and what's going to happen is he's going to die in Jerusalem and he's going to die on the cross, a Roman execution instrument, and he chooses to use this transfiguration at a particular moment in time and we, our job is to try to figure out what this is all about. So as we bring our curator glasses to this text, I think one of the things that we will see in a moment is it's a theological diamond if we will look at it through a new lens. You see, for many in the West, I mean Western civilization, Western culture, and the Western church, you see, this is kind of Jesus just showing off his glory by being transfigured before three of his disciples, James and John and Peter. But in the East, Eastern Orthodox type churches, there's a kind of a different shade of meaning or a different frame around this particular event. And in the East... God is revealing something significant. He's not just showing off his power. Rather, he's revealing something very significant that makes a lot of sense when we look at the components of this particular event. So what is the purpose of the transfiguration? What is the big idea of Jesus taking three of his disciples with him up to Mount Tabor, and on the top of Mount Tabor, there appears two Old Testament personalities with him, Moses and Elijah. Now, this is kind of a ghost story, isn't it? 
I mean, Moses and Elijah have long been dead. So what is with the reappearance of these two figures from the past? Well, if we pull out a little farther than just this particular paragraph, what you would notice in Matthew chapter 16 is Jesus raises a question with his disciples. He asks the question, who do men say that I am? And the disciples have different answers. Uh, Some think that you're a prophet. Some think that you're a teacher. Some think that you might even be Elijah himself. But Peter speaks up. And Peter has this great insight. He says, you are the Christ, which means anointed one. You are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus goes, you're exactly right, Peter. Here are the keys of the kingdom. Keep that in mind. Here are the keys of the kingdom. And upon this confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this confession, I will build my church. So keep that in the back of your mind. And then you come to Matthew chapter 17 and you have the transfiguration story. And what's fascinating is at... The end of chapter 16 of Matthew. Jesus then tells his disciples, after this great confession of Peter, he then tells his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. And this very same Peter that had great insight that he was the Son of God, the Messiah, says, no, 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 Jesus. You're not going to the cross because in Peter's mind, he was still thinking, hey, Jesus is the type of Messiah, the lion that's going to eradicate the Roman Empire and their oppression over the Jewish people. And then Jesus says this to Peter. Can you imagine this? Jesus has just patted Peter on the back and gave him a gold medal that he had this deep insight. And then Peter goes, no, 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 you're not going to die on the cross. You're not going to go to Jerusalem and die. No, 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 you're going to lead your kingdom. You're going to bring in uh, the rule and so forth. And then Jesus Jesus says to him, you know, Peter, you missed the point. And he says it in a very dominant way that would really, I mean, hit the internal spirit of Peter. You know what he says to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan? Calling Peter Satan? No, again, it goes back to that temptation. Now Peter is the one that is tempting Jesus to give up his identity as the Son of God. And as the Son of God, he's going to show mankind what God is really like. So then he takes Peter, James, and John up to Mount Tabor, and he is transfigured before them. And what is given to Peter, James, and John is this deep insight into how Jesus is going to bring his kingdom. And there is this vision of how he is going to rule the world, okay? So keep that in mind. And here's what I want to put up on the screen for you today, okay? So we are going to just kind of tease this out a little bit and just kind of follow along and you'll see what God is up to. So the text begins after six days, Jesus took the three up to Mount Tabor. 
that is not a chronological designation. That's a theological designation. So here you have three good Jewish boys. And what is six days after the beginning of the week? In Jewish calendar, it is Friday. What is going to happen on a Friday? Or as we call it, Good Friday. Jesus is going to die on the cross. And here is an intentional way of saying, this is where we're going to go. And Matthew, the writer, is going to say, Jesus is going to fulfill all the expectations of the Old Testament. And who appears with Jesus? Two Old Testament figures. Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah, who represents the prophets. So Jesus is going to be crucified on a Friday, and now these two Old Testament figures are brought in, and they are the great figures of the Old Testament, and they are summoned from the past to make their final witness. And the final witness that they are giving is everything from this point forward has been given over to Jesus. Their time has gone, it is past, and the voice, just like at Jesus' baptism, says, this is my son, listen to him. Listen to him. Jesus replaces all the Old Testament law and prophets, and these two great witnesses have fulfilled their role in God's redemptive history. Jesus takes over from here. Now, we might ask, what was the goal of the law and the prophets? Well, it was to produce a just and worshiping society. That's what the nation of Israel was to do. In the midst of a lot of paganism and idolatry and so on and so forth, they worshiped the one true God, and they were to be built upon a just society. And that's what all the laws of the Old Testament uh, Mosaic Covenant was all about, to produce a type of society where fairness and justice would take place. The prophets then anticipated a time when all of this would come to fruition and it would be completed, that God was up to something. And so what happens now is these two figures, Moses and Elijah, appear with Jesus, and Peter misinterprets the event. So Peter sees these three figures. And what is it that he wants to do? He wants to build three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he is treating Moses and Elijah and Jesus as equals. Moses and Elijah are not equals to Jesus. Jesus is superior. He's the final revelation of what God is doing and what God is like. So Peter misinterprets this event. And so what this event is really doing is Jesus is everything the Old Testament was preparing us for. Jesus is the fulfillment. The Old Testament could never fully articulate what God was like or what God was up to. But all of this finds its residence in the person of Jesus. God couldn't say everything he wanted to say in the Old Testament or in the Old Testament covenants. So God becomes a man in the person of Jesus and through the humanity of Jesus. This is what God has to say to the watching world. 
So here it is. Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. The transfiguration is where Moses and Elijah find their successor. And Jesus is what God has to say to the world. So the transfiguration is a final revelation that God is giving to mankind. It's sort of the difference between the moon and the stars and the sun. The moon and the stars, the law and the prophets, they give a little bit of light, but it's not like the sun in full beauty. And in its brightness, we see what God is like. So we might put it this way. With Christ Jesus, morning has broken, a new day has dawned, the sun of righteousness has risen, and the Old Testament has finished its work. Now, what does that mean to you and me? How many times in the way we frame the Bible have we heard people dip into the Old Testament to justify violence, to justify war, to justify invasion, to justify colonization? All of these things. You can find anything in the Bible to justify what you want to do. Depends upon where you want to go to look for it. But if Jesus is the perfect revelation, if Jesus overrides all that which was just kind of dimming lights and a shallow light for mankind for so many years, well then, we don't have the privilege to dip our toes into the Old Testament, to find the things that we want to justify our own ends rather than God's. Does that make sense? Jesus is what God has to say to the watching world. And our job, our job, is to best interpret the material that has been given to us about Jesus. Restore them to the beauty that belongs to Jesus and inspire other people to step into the process of understanding Jesus is what God has to say to the watching world. So when a church tries to embrace the Bible by giving the Old Testament equal authority with Christ, the Father from heaven opens up and says, this is my son, listen to him. Are you following what I'm saying? No, 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 no. They all had their place. They all prepared for the coming of Christ. But my son has arrived. Listen to him. And so what is most important for us is this. Moses, who had an Old Testament law, is replaced by a new Moses that gives a new law. And what we find is in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount, this new law that God is giving to a watching world. So practically, it might mean something like this. So if Moses says to practice capital punishment, to stone adulterers, and other sinners, God says, listen to Jesus, because Jesus says, I desire mercy. If Elijah calls down fire from heaven to burn up their enemies, God says, listen to Jesus, who says, love your enemies. The Pharisees and their desire to condemn sinners to death can quote the Bible and they can cite Moses, but Jesus says something else. Jesus says to a woman caught in adultery, Where are those who condemn you? Neither do I. You see, Jesus says and does something new and different. 
God never tells us to rummage around in the Old Testament and drag out Moses or Elijah or Joshua or David to balance out what Jesus says. If what I've heard over the years is this, when we take the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus seriously, there's always somebody that will raise their hand and say, but Jesus, that's for us personally. Jesus, this is not about how to, uh, to run a world. Really? I thought Jesus was king. I thought Jesus was Lord. No, 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 Jesus doesn't know anything about running the world. So let's just take his teachings personally. I'll put them in my back pocket, and I'll pull them out when I need some comfort, that type of thing. But I'll go ahead and do what I want to do. You see, the role of the Old Testament is to give an inspired telling of how we get to Jesus. And through the laws of the Old Testament, while it did a good job of forming a worshiping community, it had pitfalls of its own. And so what we see is it is always pointing to its successor. The story of the Old Testament will get us to Jesus. And when we get to Jesus, we are to put aside those misconceptions and prejudices and other things and replace it with the teachings of Jesus whom the Father says, listen to him, listen to him, listen to him. He is the one that is the final revelation for mankind. So let's finish off this slide here. The transfiguration is a revelation that also ultimately then leads to the defeat of death. Now, when we see these two figures, Moses and Elijah on Mount Tabor, not only is he superseding Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, but he's talking to Moses and Elijah. And here's a picture. It's a picture of resurrection. It's a picture of hope. It's a picture of eternal life that Moses and Elijah still live. And as Jesus talks with them, the promise is this, that there is for us also the promise of life everlasting. It's a mysterious thing, isn't it? I can't tell you what heaven is like. And I'm not sure if Moses and Elijah were still here, whether they would tell us what heaven is like. But what I do know is this, that Jesus was talking with these two individuals. And as he talked with these two individuals, they disappear. And now he comes back to his disciples and he's going to carry out what he started out as he headed toward Jerusalem, which will ultimately take his life. But through his death, he defeats death. And through his resurrection, there's the promise of our resurrection. There's a metamorphosis that takes place. You see, these two individuals represent that there is more to putting someone in the ground after they die. After they expire, they just kind of exterminate. No, 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 no. At some point, and I don't, I don't know how it all comes back together, in recognizable personality. Moses, there you see him. Elijah, there you see him. Esti, there you see her. Right? That is Mark, there you see him. After he passes, someday when we are reunited with our loved ones, we will know them. We will recognize them. We will celebrate them. And so grandparents that have passed on, or maybe a mom and dad, or a sister or a brother, or a son or a daughter, 
there is this promise and assurance that we have not lost them forever. Can I get an amen on that? There is the promise of love that continues. There's the promise of reunion. There's the promise of life everlasting. There is this promise because Jesus, when he is raised from the dead and he is ultimately transfigured through his resurrection and is glorified through his resurrection, there is this promise that death cannot end everything. It does not end everything because the transfiguration shows it's not the end of all things. It's a temporary hiccup. It's a temporary interruption. It's a temporary uh, uh, separation from those that we love. May that give to us comfort. May that give to us assurance. The suffering God in the human flesh of Jesus is what ultimately will fill the universe with divine light and becomes radiant. And maybe this is what Paul had in mind when he said this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He says, Our Father has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ, His Son. Isn't that great? So the transfiguration is one of those high marks in the public ministry of Jesus. And the transfiguration establishes the finality of God's big reveal in Jesus. And the revelation of Jesus as greater than the law and the prophets is substantiated by this voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. The transfiguration does what the author of Hebrews does as we read that opening paragraph at the beginning of the service and what the author takes the entire book of Hebrews to accomplish and that is Jesus is greater than the law Jesus is greater than Moses Jesus is greater Jesus is greater that's the theme of the book of Hebrews so once again this revelation once it's made known changes everything doesn't it it changes the way we look at other people. It changes the way we live life. It changes the way we approach death. It changes the way we uh, grieve. Because even though we grieve those that we have lost, we do not grieve without hope. We do not grieve without assurance. We do not grieve without the promise that we will be reunited with them. Would you stand with me as we close? So... Here is something that I have used on occasion, and I think it summarizes transfiguration quite well, and then we're going to close with this closing quote that I have in your liturgy. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There never was a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now we do. Jesus is the perfect revelation of what God is like. So this uh, quote here in your liturgy is from a theologian by the name of Frederick Buchner. He says, even, uh, even with us, something like that happens once in a while. And he's talking about the transfiguration of Christ. He says, the face of a man walking with a child in the park, of a woman baking bread, of sometimes even the unlikeliest person listening to a concept say, or standing barefoot in the sand, watching the waves roll in, or just having a beer at a Saturday baseball game in July, 
every once and so often, something so touching, so incandescent, so alive transfigures the human face that it's almost beyond bearing. That's what the three disciples experienced in the transfiguration, and that's what we experience in the course of our daily life. Would you join me in closing prayer? Almighty God, the resplendent light of your truth shines from the mountaintop into our hearts. Transfigure us by your beloved Son and illuminate the world with your image through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen and amen. Thanks for coming, everybody. I hope you have a blessed day. We'll see you next time.